So if you, um, if you were here last week, we, we started a new series um, called Essentials of the Faith, or Faith Essentials is what we call it. And it really is um, what we're going to be doing over the next uh, remaining eight weeks, including today, is going over kind of the basics of the Christian faith, like what it is that makes us Christians. Like what do we believe, not just as a church, but as the Bible kind of fundamentals that are in there. So it's not really around practice in terms of how we do things and style and those sort of things. I think those are very open-handed things that God gives us and there's lots of scope for that. But there's some things that are fairly closed-handed that are, these are the kind of essentials of orthodox belief. Um, And last week we spoke about um, Jesus uh, being the, sorry, I just want to turn this off, Jesus being our cornerstone. So he is the one who kind of sets the the course for our foundation in our faith and really determines what the building is going to look like of our lives. And we build them on that cornerstone and, and how the cornerstone in ancient times was the real first kind of block that was laid in the foundation and the size and the shape of that cornerstone determined everything else from the building. And Jesus is that for us in our faith. And the Bible calls him that out of Psalm 118 and Isaiah prophesying it and then obviously into the New Testament and Acts and uh, making reference to Jesus as the cornerstone. And you know, it's, that's who Jesus is. And, and what makes him that is that he's fully God and fully man at the same time. So he's both. He's, he's not either or. He doesn't switch between he's doing miracles, so he's going to be God. And then he's, he's hungry and he's tired, so he's human. He's not, he's not either or. He's not schizophrenic where he's got these kind of two personalities. And he's not like just God putting on a human skin. It's not like a wetsuit that he puts on. He is, he is something new. He is always fully God and fully man. And that makes him absolutely unique. And makes it possible for him to be our savior. Makes it possible for him to die for our sins. And the beauty of that and, and how that should impact us. And, and what we, we really gave some really intense homework last week. And if you weren't here, it's okay. We'll give it again this week. Um, like all good teachers do. But Jesus asked the question. This is the homework. It was Jesus asked that question of his disciples. Um, recorded Matthew and Luke. And he says, he says, who do the people say I am? And they, some say John the Baptist. And some say Elijah. And And he says, but who do you say I am? And that is the homework for us. That is the question that we need to answer. And so we're going to stick with Jesus for another week, if that's okay. If it's not, we're still doing it. Um, Hopefully he'll be in everything, but we're going to stick with Jesus again there. And and so who do do you say Jesus is? You know, we have have a lot of things that we can say about Jesus. And and if we ask, if if I were to ask you to say, how would you... How would you summarize the teachings of Jesus? If you had one, one sentence, one line, how would you summarize those things? What would you put into one line of what Jesus says? Some, some might say, love your neighbor. That might be something. Love, love the Lord. Some of us who might even say, love your enemy. Might be what Jesus said. Some of us who struggle with anxiety or worry might say, do not worry, because we can put our faith in Jesus. That might summarize what he says. But how we summarize the teachings of Jesus and his life says a lot about how we view Jesus. And we can have many, many different ideas. And, and we spoke about how in, in past, there have been those who have cut out certain portions of what Jesus has said. Some have done it physically. Because that, that didn't quite fit with their picture of Jesus. Like, I like him as this kind of six foot two Scandinavian with a white 
and a purple sash and you know, long flowing brown hair and soft blue eyes. And that probably wasn't what he looked like. He would have probably got stopped at an airport nowadays if, if, if he was like he is. He was an Arab. He had dark skin. It says in the Bible there was nothing that separated him. He didn't look, from those, look, look different from those he was around. He wasn't a head taller. and He was just Jesus. So we can have lots of different pictures about Jesus. And, and I'm not knocking the imagery that tries to make Jesus special and amazing. And he is all of those things. But we need to make sure that we have a biblical view of Jesus. If we're going to have any view of Jesus, please let it be a view of Jesus that the Bible upholds. Start there. You know, R.C. Sproul, who's an amazing um, scholar and, and um, preacher, he said this thing. He said, give me the biblical Christ or give me nothing. Give me the biblical Christ or give me nothing. My wife corrected my spelling. I see in my notes my spelling's wrong. <laughs> but do you, know, do you know what Jesus spoke about more than anything else in his teachings? In the Bible, as it's recorded, um, John says that not everything that Jesus said was recorded, but the important things are, as we believe, inspired by the Holy Spirit, recorded in the four Gospels. Do you know the thing that he spoke about most in the, in the, in the Gospels? It wasn't, it wasn't love. It wasn't money. It wasn't hell. It wasn't preaching. The thing that Jesus spoke the most about was the kingdom of God. Jesus arrives, and in all four Gospels, he arrives preaching about the gospel. More than, it's recorded in Matthew, just Matthew's Gospel. More than 50 times Jesus speaks about the kingdom. Kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. And this theme you know, for us, it's a bit weird. We live in democracies, most of us, but for, the, for, for Jewish hearers in, in Jesus' day, the theme of God as king or, or the kingdom of God coming wasn't an unusual one for them. Um, as, you know, we can, we can look at our Bible, if we look at it carefully, right from literally the first page up until the second to last paragraph in the Bible, Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, the theme of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven runs right the way through Scripture. I would argue that it is the major theme of Scripture. And we'll get to that why now. But anyway, that's, a, that's an open-handed thing. We can talk about that later. But if you're, and if you're anything like me, like a, a kingdom is a bit, when I think of a kingdom, I think of like a place. So you think of like the United Kingdom and they have Mud Island next to Europe there. They've got their spot. And you think of, so because for, for most of us, the, the, the concept of a nation or a kingdom are, in terms of space are fairly static. Our national boundaries and international boundaries don't change that much for us. When they do, it's big news. Sudan's changed or they've changed the international boundaries between Kenya and Somalia or Ethiopia and Somalia. And it's big news when international boundaries change. And so for us, it's, the space is fairly static. And so we get used to that thing. And so when we think of a kingdom, and when Jesus says the kingdom of God is here, or kingdom of, he comes preaching the kingdom, we immediately think of a place. And for most of us, we go, well, this isn't a really nice place, so it must be somewhere else. And we put heaven as this kingdom of heaven as somewhere far away. But the biblical concept, and both the, both the ancient Greek and the ancient Hebrew words for kingdom that are used, that Jesus has used, denote an active thing. So it's less a noun, more a verb. So it is the, the active rule or the active reign of God. It is, it is primarily the rule of the reign of the king over a people. So it's, it's an activity. The place is taken for granted. Obviously, a king rules in places. But particularly in ancient times, the, 
the, the boundaries were so fluid. You, if you read through like 1 and 2 Kings and 1 and 2 Chronicles, you'll see that this guy pushed, like he attacked these cities and took them over, and then this guy rebuilt those cities. So the, the boundaries of, of physical boundaries of where they were were constantly changing. But time was often measured by who kings were. So in the seventh year of the reign of this person, in the twelfth year of Darius, da, 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 these, and so the, who the king was was far more important than the area he had. All kings were trying to expand their territory. So the biblical concept of a kingdom is more about the activity of the rule or the reign. And, you know, we all have our own little spaces. And Dallas Willard puts it like this, speaking of trying to explain it, uh, of the concept of this kingdom. He says, every one of us has a kingdom or a queendom or a government. And it is a realm that is uniquely our own, where our choice determines what happens. Our kingdom is simply the range of our effective will. So it's the place where we get to, where we make decisions and things will change. Does that make sense? So that's what the kingdom is. The range and the, the, the scope of God's effective will. So where God's will is enacted, His rule and reign is enacted. So for me, I can make decisions about where the fence of Monzi should be or who shouldn't, shouldn't come in, but it's not going to change much, is it, Marius? Is that not my kingdom? That's more the mayor of Monzi's kingdom. Yeah. Groomy. If Groomy made decisions <laughs> about where the fence would go, it would change. But me, not so much. That's outside of my kingdom. Make sense? And so the, the kingdom of God is where God's effective rule and reign is. And that's what Jesus comes announcing and he says, with his arrival, Matthew 4, 17, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Mark 1, 14, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Luke 4, 43 and John 3, 3 and 5 also allude to the kingdom right at the beginning of Jesus's ministry. It says he continued going around and preaching about the kingdom. And so we see right from the start, all four gospels speak about how Jesus at the beginning of his ministry spoke about the kingdom of heaven is near. To be clear, it didn't start there. The kingdom of heaven, as we've said, is right from the beginning of time. Okay, so Jesus didn't start the kingdom of heaven when he came on earth. The kingdom of heaven was always there. He said it's near or it's at hand. So the rule and reign of God is come near. And we'll see why he needed to do that. So that's what he means when he says the kingdom is here. He's announcing the rule and the reign of God coming. So the next logical question is, well, okay, so if it came with Jesus then, but how does it come how does it come with Jesus? Like, how come he gets it? How come he gets to bring it? How do we get it now? So how does the kingdom come? And, and Derek Morphew is a South African guy. He was um, schooled at Balgowan Technical College, also known as Michael House, and went to school in, um, in uh, went to school at, at uh, Stellenbosch, did varsity there. And he's, a, he's, he's brilliant on the kingdom of God. He is, he is fantastic. Um, and, and he says it's quite, it's quite clear um, that the kingdom, Dave, you can put that graphic up. That the kingdom comes through the authority of Jesus in his announcement and his actions, so his declaration and his demonstration, i.e. what we would call his words and his works. And what Jesus says and does has three essential components to it. It has the authority, it has his words and his works. So right at the top of that picture, shall I get out the way? Right at the top of the picture, um, you've got the rule of God. So that is the kingdom. So the rule of God comes through the anointing on Jesus. 
And we see it as baptism. We see that amazing picture of, of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. It says the Spirit dwelled on him or came down in bodily form on Jesus. It's obvious. It was, it was a, almost a tangible anointing of the Spirit on Christ. And so he gets that anointing of the Holy Spirit, which brings, it brings him into authority. So it lifts Jesus into the place of authority. And then from there, Jesus demonstrates the kingdom through his words. And he speaks about the kingdom. He speak, demonstrates it through his works. And he speaks about it through his words. So it is the authority, the words, and the works of Jesus that are the three kind of important things for us to know. The, the Spirit enables Jesus through the authority. And that anointing at his... At his um, baptism that we see so obviously there is is a kingly thing that happened most obvious picture we have is david so david gets uh, the most well known not most obvious but the most well known story is david so david gets chosen as a teenager uh, the prophet samuel comes and he anoints him to be king so in in jewish history that was the sign of the kind of inauguration of the king is the kings would be anointed publicly and it was a sign of the the spirit and the authority of god coming on those kings to fulfill a function to rule and to reign and if we go back before the kingship what we see is that in judges for for instance there are um, if you read the beginning of judges there's othniel and it says the spirit of god came on him to lead israel if we look at the life of samson big strong guy long hair and it's kind of like Mark Lonsdale in his younger days. So I didn't even plan. I just thought of that now. So he, but the spirit of God comes on Samson, Samson, not Samuel, Samson. Did I say Samuel? Samson comes on Samson for those moments where he has that amazing strength. So we see the spirit of God coming on people for a purpose and for a moment. And then it departs. It doesn't remain. But Jesus, the spirit remains on Jesus. That's the authority. And that's the new covenant that we get to live under. We don't have God that comes and goes. He doesn't withdraw with us when we have a bad day and come back when you've prayed for Hail Marys and five Our Fathers. But we get the Spirit with us. We get God with us all the time. So, Jesus as he comes, preaching the kingdom under the authority, demonstrating it and declaring it, effectively fulfills the prayer that he told his disciples to pray. Where he says, Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Jesus causes the active rule and reign of God to break into our world, to break into a fallen and sinful and broken world through the anointing of the Spirit. And that's what the key is. Derek Morphew again puts it like this. He says, the words and works of Jesus are the authority of the kingdom of God in action. So if you want to see what the authority of the kingdom looks like, look at Jesus' life and the words he spoke. Look at his teaching and his actions. That demonstrates for us the kingdom. That shows for us the kingdom of God. Matthew 4.23 records Jesus going throughout Galilee. And it says, He went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and here's the important things, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among people. Proclaiming and practice. Words and works. Matthew 9.35 records it again in a different part of, of um, Israel. He says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. And over and over again, we see this in the Gospels, where Jesus goes out and he doesn't just preach and then leave. He doesn't just show up quietly and heal a few people and leave. It's not an either-or thing. We can't have a, an either-or view of Jesus, that he was just a good teacher or that he was just a faith healer or he just did good thing. It's both and go together. 
Both of those things are the demonstration of the kingdom. This is the biblical picture of Jesus. He declares and he demonstrates the kingdom of God by proclaiming and practicing what he preaches. And Jesus comes in and in his demonstration of the kingdom, and what he does is he, it's such an upside down kingdom. He comes in and he doesn't, doesn't go for power. It's incredible. The disciples are constantly waiting for Jesus to like whip out a big sword and slug the Romans. But Jesus comes in and he confronts abuse. And he, and he confronts evil in every situation. And he's with the poor and the broken and the lonely. And he heals those who society overlooks. He celebrates those who do crazy things for him that are, make no sense. Jesus not only restores those who are broken physically, but he takes those who are ostracized by society and restores them back. He heals them. He says, now go show yourself to the priest. And the reason being is that that person can then function in society again. The blind beggar who throws off his coat, that coat was a license to beg. He no longer needs the license to beg because Jesus has restored him physically in his sight, but also to right standing in community. This is the biblical picture of Jesus. Not one who comes in and takes over and is, he's not the CEO that comes in. He is our servant king. This is the Jesus that we follow. He is the redeemer, the one who is full of grace and mercy. And ironically, he gets celebrated as a king at his crucifixion. He gets lifted up on a cross, given a crown and a robe and a title above his head that says, Jesus, the king of the Jews. How crazy that God makes Pontius Pilate put that above his head as the notice. And the Jewish leaders are unhappy. They're like, don't put that up there. Put it up there that it, he claimed to be there. And Pontius Pilate just said, what I've written, I've written. It's up. Amazing how God does that. Jesus gets exalted and lifted up, raised up, elevated physically, but also spiritually at his crucifixion. Ultimately, he's resurrected, ascends to the, to the right hand and is seated on the throne at the right hand of God the Father. And that Jesus died is an incredible thing for us and it's, a, it's an amazing picture for us. But, but that he is alive, Friday on Easter is incredible, but Sunday is what sets us all apart. Do you know the Romans crucified tens of thousands of people and before them the Persians crucified people as well. But there's only one who was buried and rose again. And that's Jesus. And that Jesus is ascended and alive makes all the difference for us because it means that our humanity, our original humanity from the beginning, how God intended it, can be made right. We can have that humanity restored and renewed and resurrected in our lives. If we look at Genesis 1.28, and this is where I said it's on the first page of the Bible, this theme of the kingdom. Genesis 1.28, it's before the fall of man. So before sin has entered the world, God has created this amazing creation. It is good, it is good, it is good, over and over. And he's created man and woman in the image of God. And it says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Can you say subdue? Rule over the fish in the sea. Can you say rule? And the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Friends, subduing and ruling is kingdom language. God is saying, I want you to rule over every living thing. That is the authority that we were given in the beginning. As humans, that was our intention. 
That is what makes us unique from the rest of all creation, is the image of God in us and that kingly authority that we were given and we abdicated it and we threw it away. Didn't last two chapters of the story and we threw it away. We gave it up. And that is the scandal of what happens in the garden. It's not that we just didn't follow a rule. It's that we chose to follow another king. We chose to give up that authority that was ours. And rebel against God and go, I know better. It's that pride that was in our hearts. That going, man, I can do this on my own. Sound familiar? Still happening today. You see, the kingdom language shows the delegated authority that they had. And all they had to do was be obedient to God. So, that gets to be resurrected in Jesus. That's what we get. That's the authority that Jesus came with to restore through the anointing of the Holy Spirit and demonstrates in his words and works. That's the kingdom of God come for us. The active rule and reign of God through us. That's what it means. That's how it comes into our lives is through Jesus and the anointing of the Spirit. So what does it mean for me? What does the kingdom of God mean for me? Um, it means that if we, if we come under the authority of the king, that then the active rule or reign of Jesus must be in my life. It must be the authority in my life. Yeah? Make sense? It's only logical. So, many of us have issues with authority and submitting and not liking to be told what to do. And you know what the problem is, is that oftentimes Jesus uses people for that. Like if he would just come and tell me it would be fine, I'd listen to him. But now he wants to use someone in my life. And very often it's someone close to you. And that nature inside me just goes, mm-mm, mm-mm, I don't do well with it. But it's no, it's, it's not, we shouldn't not expect it. I wrote it better than what I'm trying to say. It's no mistake that we have that natural reaction to authority and submission. It's not a modern thing. See, society will try and tell us, oh, it's the postmodern, it's these millennials that don't listen. It's, it's not. It's human nature that has been in us. From Genesis 3, not Genesis 1, it's sinful nature that has been in humans for that long, that have been rebelling against authority, and particularly the authority of God. And we think when we, when we shake off any form of authority, like, man, I'm not going to work for a boss, I'm going to have my own business. We think, man, I'm, that's when you're going to be truly free. We think when we shake off, like, we think anarchy would be the most freedom we could have. No government, we'll be fine, let us sort it out. It's not. We think when we live without God and we, I'm going to make my own choices and my own decisions in life and I'm going to be the one who decides where I go and what I do. It is not the most free place to be. Because you are your king. You are your own king. And that is terrifying. So when we, when we live under the authority of the king, and, and to quote Derek Morphew again, he says, to live under Jesus' reign means to allow him to define humanity, good and evil for me, to trust him in this to trust him in that when jesus gets to define humanity good evil right wrong man sometimes there's things in there that i got to wrestle with and i'll be like are you sure lord is you sure that that's the best way like culturally things have changed we've moved on we've got cars and cell phones like and jesus says the greatest of you will be the servant of all like like lord maybe you know maybe it was good then but now not so sure what Jesus says is right and wrong is still right and wrong. It's still good and evil. When he proclaims that 
man, stop stealing, stop abusing those who are poor. It's still right and wrong for us. Jesus gets to define that. When he is king, when he is the one in authority, we are under that. He gets to define for us. And key in there is he gets to define our humanity. He gets to declare who we are and who we aren't. Most of us are believing lies about who we are and who we aren't. And Jesus comes to set us free and says, you are a son and a daughter of the King Most High. That is who you are. Live that way. Live free. And it is a privilege for us. This good news of the kingdom means that we get to bring the active rule and reign of God wherever we go. Every day of our lives, we get to living under the authority of the king with the anointing of the Holy Spirit in our words and in our works. We get to bring the active rule and reign of God wherever we go. We get to bring it into our families. We get to bring it into our workplaces, our businesses. We get to bring it into the restaurants we go to, the shopping malls we're in. And it is through exactly the same manner that Jesus did. We get to do it through our obedience to the authority of God, listening to the Holy Spirit, and then proclaiming and practicing, declaring and demonstrating words and works, just like Jesus did. You see, the whole point of our apprenticeship and our discipleship is to, is to be with Jesus so that we can become like him, so that we can do what he did. That is the outworking of our discipleship. It must look like something. And many of us choose one or the other, words or works. And I'm not going to say anything. I'm just, going to, I'm just going to let people see Jesus in me when I walk through the mall. And it sounds great and it sounds holy. And there's, a, there's an element of truth to it because it doesn't matter what your words say. People will look at your life and they will decide what you really believe by your life. But it's not an either or. Jesus didn't come just healing and just setting free. He came proclaiming the kingdom as well, declaring the goodness of God and his love and his mercy that was coming. And so for us, as we live out this kingdom authority, it must follow in both. Don't, let, don't live in a way that it's, it's difficult for people to tell whether you're a Christian or a Buddhist because you're so nice. Live in a way where it's obvious. Like, hey, can I help you? Yeah, why? Because Jesus loves you and so do I. Easy as that. And we need to live in a way that it's, it's clear and obvious. Alexander Fenter puts it like this. He says... The signs follow the kingdom's proclamation, presence, and activity in and through the church. If we want to see the kingdom alive, we want to see the kingdom active in our lives, there must be proclamation and faith to step out and pray for people, to love people, to be generous to people, to welcome them hospitably into our homes. That's when we get to see the kingdom of God operating through the church. So, to be clear... The kingdom of God is not the church, and the church is not the kingdom of God. The church is a part of the kingdom of God, and that is the only way that we as humans come under the active rule and reign of God is automatically we're part of the church, capital C. But the church is, and this is Alexander Fenter's words again, he says, the church is a contrast community. We are the chief agents of the kingdom, but we are not the kingdom itself. The kingdom is far bigger than the church. But with our words and our actions, we get to pronounce the good news, like Jesus did, that the kingdom of God is here. It's at hand. It's near. And when we live under that authority, we get that, that freedom. Living under that authority of Jesus brings us freedom and the active rule of God. And we get to experience the abundance that Jesus spoke of in John 10. You know, John 10, 10, Jesus says, the, the devil came that uh, he came to kill, steal, and destroy, but I have come 
that you may have life and life abundantly, or life to the full in some translations. It means it's, it's the most life. That's what Jesus came to bring us, the full life. And when we, Dallas Willard puts it beautifully, he says, kingdom obedience is kingdom abundance. If you want an abundant life, live an obedient life. If you want the abundance of God, live an obedient life under the kingship of God. Just a quick caveat. I know this is, I am not saying that I am God's man or that the church leaders are God's man of power for the hour and you need to listen to us, otherwise you're not there. That, please, let's be clear, that's not what I'm saying. Alright? I'm saying that God is authority and He is in charge. Okay. I'm just, I know that this teaching on the kingdom has been used to control and manipulate and abuse sp- people spiritually and that's, I just want to be clear, we're not doing that. I also don't want to tell you whether you should move to Australia or not. I'm not going to tell you if you ask, by the way. Just, but just to be clear, that's not what this is, this is about, this teaching. This is purely just saying, who is the biblical Jesus? How do we follow him together? How do we all walk this thing out in the kingdom? So, if we are laying our um, foundations on this, if we are putting these faith essentials in our life, how do we put this in? How do we make sure that we have got this kind of understanding correct in our lives? How do we How do we make sure this part of our foundation lines up with the cornerstone? Well, firstly, we've got to examine. Again, going back to the beginning, to close that circle, who do you say Jesus is? Who do I say that Jesus is? Some of us might have an intellectual understanding. Some of us might just have an absolute blind faith understanding. And it's not, again, it's not an either or, it's a both and. We need to explore those things. Are you able to articulate, articulate, speak clearly about who Jesus is in 30 seconds, 3 minutes, and 3 hours. Can you do that? Practice it with someone. Try it. Give it a go. So if you've got a spouse, use them. If you've got kids, use them. If you've got a mirror, use that. If you've got social media, TikTok it away. <laughs> Who do you say Jesus is? Because it's quite different when you have to actually say it out to someone than when you just think it in your head. Because in your head, you're like, yeah, it sounds good, and I know, and I understand. And you try and speak it out. You're like, oh, that sounded better in my head. And it's good for us to speak it out. But who do you say say Jesus is? Is he your king? Is he your Lord and your savior? Not just one or the other. Hey man, we love Jesus as the savior. But as the Lord, yeah, I'll get there when I die. But he's got to be both. It can't be one or the other. So that's the first thing. We examine. We examine who we say that Jesus is. We examine ourselves. And that's a little bit of internal introspection. The second thing we do is we, is we bring every area of our lives under the authority of Jesus. So, the way that that works is in prayer we say, Holy Spirit, show me what of me is not under your authority. Show me what areas of my life I'm holding on to. Very often, man, we are sneaky as people, and I've, I know this because I've been examining myself this week and preparing this. We will give Jesus certain parts of our lives, like we give him certain parts of the week. So, if, you know, we give him a Sunday morning. Most mornings we'll give him sort of five, ten minutes in a quiet time Bible reading, maybe half an hour, maybe an hour. We'll give him like those 30 seconds before we eat. Um, and we, we have these moments where we give Jesus space in our lives. But it's the same with operating areas in our lives. Like, Jesus, I'll give you my anxieties and my worries, and that's great. And God says, that's right. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened. But uh, my... my um, my business, maybe not so much. My kids, mm, I got that. 
My finances, <clears throat> stay away. <laughs> Lord has given me a sound mind. I shall look after those. But seriously, we, we give Jesus parts of our heart and parts of our lives. And so when we, once we've examined who Jesus is and we say, man, I understand that he's king, we've got to bring all of our lives to him. We've got to bring everything that we are. We've got to open up every area of our hearts to Jesus. You know, Jesus, even if you acknowledge Jesus as king, I want to ask you, for some of us who've been saved a long, been in the, in the faith a long time, has Jesus become like the British royal family to you? Nice on a saucer and a cup, and we love to go to Buckingham Palace, and we love the Queen at events, but honestly, there's no real governing authority there. They're a nice spectacle that bring in some tourists in our lives, and yes, we're still a kingdom, and we've got a queen and a royal family, but actually it's Parliament that makes the decisions. Like, you, you, you look good up there out front, but we're going to make the real decisions back here. Has Jesus become like the royal family for us in our lives, where it's something that we had, and they used to be in charge, but now... It's okay, we got it. We've moved on from there. Like We're a bit more modern. Great for a show and pomp and ceremony, but no like effective ruling in your life. So that's the second thing. So we examine, we bring every area of our lives to Jesus. And the third thing is we be obedient with our words and our works. And so what that means is that we proclaim the gospel wherever we go. We, we proclaim the good news of the kingdom. We share it with others. Same as can you articulate Jesus? Can you share the gospel that Jesus died for people in 30 seconds, 3 minutes, and 3 hours? Can you sit and speak about it quickly? And make it good news, by the way. Not just like, you're sinful, you're going to die, you're going to hell. Welcome. That's not such great news, is it? But there is, you carry on. Don't stop there. Keep going. Can you speak about Jesus? Practice. So not only in our proclamation or in our words, but in our works as well. Are we praying for the sick, guys? I am so bad at this. My kids get sick. Hey, I know what they need. Doctor, medication, something, whatever. Are we praying for those who are sick around us? Seeing things and just going, hey, let our first response be this. There's nothing wrong with doctors and medication. Don't hear what I'm not saying. They're brilliant. God gave them to us and they have a massively valuable place in our lives. But are we praying for the sick? Are we trusting God in those moments? Are we trusting God for healing? Do we, do we in moments where we're at workplace, uh, in the mall, in the shops, in queues in the shops, are we, are we listening to the Holy Spirit? Trusting Him for words of knowledge, words of wisdom about people, words, words of encouragement. You, when you look at someone, you just go, man, God says you're amazing. I see you dancing at home and singing and praising. That's wonderful. We love that for you. Jesus just says, you're beautiful. Are we trusting God for those moments in our lives whenever we come across people? Are we serving others? As we lead, you know, we had a men's meeting on Friday night and, and Gareth and Yanni spoke beautifully about servant leadership and how we as men need to be leading through serving. And it is exactly the epitome of Jesus' upside-down kingdom where he said, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve. And that is the example we follow. Are we serving others? Or are we so worldly in the way we go about things that people are like, what, there's no difference between you and the last boss I had. And lastly, in our being obedient, we just got to live out that upside down that kingdom. 
that runs so countercultural to the natural human desires to win, to be in charge, to be in control, to be those who overcome things. That's such an inspiring thing. But Jesus says you're going to do that by dying. Take up your cross daily and die. Andrew read that in the prayer meeting this morning. But that is our call as Christians as we live out this kingdom is to take up our cross and die daily for those around us. I want to leave you with this quote from E.P. Clowney. He's a brilliant scholar on, on the church. And he says, The kingdom, meaning the kingdom of God, established by grace, must be advanced by grace. Then it will be consummated in glory, meaning that then God will get the glory. It is not by political power, but by the power of the Spirit that the gospel is carried to the nations. The kingdom established by grace must be advanced by grace. That's an incredible statement for us in the kingdom. The kingdom established by grace must be advanced by grace. That is how we are going to advance the kingdom. And you know the problem with that is? Sometimes it's real slow. And we think, man... My money and authority and influence can do things much quicker than your grace, Jesus. So I'm just going to push the ball along a little bit. And we see that all through church history, how that is. Church has tried to gain political power to advance the kingdom of God, to, en to enforce the kingdom of God. And God says, that's not my kingdom. My kingdom comes through grace and that's how it will be advanced through people. So when we lay this stone, lay this foundation in our lives of Jesus as fully God, fully man. He's the cornerstone and, and a right understanding of his words and his works, his ministry on earth as the one who brought in the kingdom of God, the active rule and reign of God, and that we get to live as his disciples with him, becoming like him, doing what he did. We get to advance that same kingdom through grace. Grace that enables, grace that teaches us to say no to sin, grace that empowers us, the anointing of the Holy Spirit brings that grace into our lives. And we need to be like, like the bottom end of a drain pipe off your roof, the down pipe. We're just the elbow at the bottom that just funnels that grace out from. We're just funnels of that as the grace flows through us to those around us. So let us live in that way where, where, people, where people in our lives understand who our king is. Hey, why do you raise your kids like that? Why don't you let your kids do this? Well, because Jesus says it's bad for them. Yeah, but, you know, nowadays they've got to... No, no, that's what is good for them. Yeah, but, you know, are they going to have... No, that's what it says. He's pretty clear on some things. There's a lot that's open to interpretation. But there's some things that he's real clear on. And we need to stick in those. We need to live according to that biblical Jesus so that we can, like R.C. Sproul, say, give me the biblical Jesus or give me nothing. That's what I want. I want to live after Jesus and his kingdom that I see in the Bible. Not some fluffy modern Western American dream Jesus. I want the Jesus of the Bible. He must have been amazing to be around. He still is amazing to be around. That's the privilege that we get to live under. The kingdom that we get to live in. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you are in charge, Lord. Thank you that you are king over all. And thank you that you have exalted Jesus to the highest place that he is the name above names and he is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings and he will be forever and ever. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would open our hearts to understand what it means to live under the authority of the King, 
Help us, God, to open up every area of our lives to your authority, Jesus. Help us to be those who are bold to go and advance your kingdom wherever we are through grace, Lord. Help us to be those who pray for the sick, who feed the hungry, who bind up the broken, who bring freedom for the oppressed, Lord God. Help us to be those who side with the the lesser than, the outcasts in society, God. Help us, God, to take up our cross daily. Father, I long to see more of your kingdom. I long to see your active rule and reign in my life and in our lives, in our communities, God, in our nation. We want to see your active rule and reign comes. Help us to be those agents of your kingdom that advance it wherever we go, Lord. As always, God, we need your grace, we need your mercy, and we need your love poured out on us and through us. We give you glory, God. This is not about any one church or one kingdom. This is about your kingdom, God. It is about you getting the glory. It is about you being king and not us. We celebrate you, Father. We celebrate your goodness and your glory and your majesty, God. Worthy is the Lamb to be praised. Holy, holy, holy is He. Amen.